And uh, we're starting at chapter 11, sentence 1 in the Gospel of John. John 11.1. 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, and whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard of it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was talking about rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go down to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of God. Well, uh, good morning and welcome to City Light. Again, my name is Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Happy Easter to you all. Uh, I love Easter, holidays, hot cross buns, chocolate, fantastic. But for me, there's something more about uh, Easter, and that's what we're going to look at today. I love Easter Sunday, and I'm going to share that with you today as we look at the Bible together. So let's, let's talk to God and ask that he would speak to us and teach us about himself. Let's, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that, uh, that you have brought us here, each of us individually, that you know us, you've even numbered the very hairs of our head. Father, we're here on Easter Sunday to uh, hear from you. Some of us here don't know you, some do, some have come reluctantly. We're going to pray that you would just really work in us this morning to see the good news of the resurrection and see the hope that it brings for all of us. We're going to pray that we would just be able to sit still, to pay attention, to listen, give us a heart that's ready to hear from our Creator, the one who loves us. Lord, use me as your servant 
that I may speak truth, that, if, that I may help to stir our affections more for you. I pray in your name. Amen. Now, as long as I can remember, I've been a, uh, I've been a fearful person. Growing up, I was afraid of a, a lot of things. Uh, I used to hate going to Wonderland, being afraid of roller coasters. Uh, I remember uh, being afraid of a weird one of, of, of home invasion. That was my biggest fear growing up, home invasion, right? Weird. I remember being afraid of being locked in department stores for some reason. I was a nightmare to go shopping with. I would just cry the whole time, being afraid that the, the shop was going to close at 10 in the morning. I remember being afraid of, of, of clowns. Uh, and that one probably was fed by my sister, making me watch it at a very young age. Uh, I was afraid of enclosed places like lifts and confined spaces. And that was probably more because my brother and sister put me in a garbage bin and sat on the lid for a while, which then I, I hate spaces because of that. I, I, <laughs> I love these sisters and brothers, don't I? Uh, I, I was and still am a, a fearful person. Becoming an adult, though, I've got a new fear, and that was the fear of germs. I have a fear of germs especially with my hands. It's really weird. Now, I'm not really sure where this came from, uh, and it's definitely better than it used to be, but there's a fear going on. And for me, the, where this fear gets really kicked up is public toilets. I hate public toilets. hate them. And especially men's public toilets, uh, they're disgusting. It's like just men go in there and just choose to do their business wherever they want. I forget the toilet. I'll just go over the walls if I'd like to. And it, and it stinks, and it's horrible, and, and I hate it, and my kids often say, can I go to the toilet, Dad? I'm like, no, I'm not going to the toilet. You just got to hold on, right? I'd be happy if they wet their pants rather than going the wet, into the public toilet. Uh, I hate it. And uh, uh, I refuse to touch anything in there. I refuse to touch a tap, or a door handle. I just kick everything to try and get through that place. It's horrible. Uh, but what's been interesting with this fear of germs that I have, in my hands especially, is that having kids has really challenged this. It's really pushed this. See, babies and kids are germ factories. And often they can be quite disgusting. And I can say because I have three. And you know when they get, they walk around with those little snot fangs? You know, there's snot coming out, and they don't care. And they just walk around, and I sit and go, yuck, just clean your nose up. It's disgusting, right? And they get food all over themselves. And, and as a parent, you've got to deal with that. And stuff goes all over you. You get weed upon, pooed upon. You get vo- I've been vomited on before. I've been coughed all over at night. Uh, and often when you're out, you have no wipes or tissues, so you've just got to do the best you can. So often it's your hand or it's your T-shirt, just wiping up all that you need to do to clean your kids up. And for me, my fear of germs was really challenged by this. And it was pushed. And because of this, I feel like my fear of germs has subsided. It was tested because I needed to do what a parent had to do. And I didn't get too sick, I didn't catch any horrible diseases, there was nothing really to fear. So my fear was tested and it's shown to be uh, not much at all. I still hate public toilets, they're filthy, but uh, my, fear of, my fear of germs has, uh, has subsided hugely. But I think we, we all have fears. Whether we're brave enough to name them or not, we all have fears in life. For some of us, we have lots of fears that can be driven by them, or a better word maybe is controlled by them, controlled by fears. I know this feeling, you know, you have a fear, it can turn from a fear uh, to a worry to an anxiety. I, I've walked this road and uh, I, I've often felt like I'm, sometimes when you get worried that it turns into anxiety that uh, you often just have this sense of anxiety and you're not really sure what you're worried about anymore, but you have this, this sense of fear over you. For others, uh, our fears are not that bad, but we still get worried and scared and fearful in life around certain situations and scenarios. We can fear job loss or, or sickness or Fears for your safety or fears of safety for your loved ones. Fear of the future. 
You get fear of the dark, fear of clowns, fear of snakes, fear of spiders, fear of dogs or animals, fear of flying, fear of heights, fear of sickness, fear of disease, fear of terrorism, fear of home invasion, fear of small, small uh, spaces. You can choose. There are plenty. Plenty of fears that we have that are out there. But if you stop and think about these fears for a minute, often underpinning a lot of these fears is actually a fear of death. Fear of death. Think about it for a second with me. Fear of, fear of flying is the fear that the plane will crash and that you will die. A fear of spiders or snakes or animals as you get bitten, get a fatal injury and possibly die. Fear of terrorism, being injured and killed. Uh, a fear of home invasion, which I had, was being invaded and someone harming you. Fear of sickness, of someone dying that you love or you getting sick and you dying. Fear of, fear of the dark might be someone you might not, you might not, you, you might not see them and then we come and harm you. Underpinning a lot of our fears is this fear of death. And I think as a culture and as a people, we struggle with this idea of death. We don't know what to do with it or how to deal with it or how to speak about it. When someone gets old and frail, what we do, we put them in a nursing home, we don't see them anymore. Cast them away. We don't see it. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of these places, it's quite confronting. Seeing people almost sitting in their chairs, not communicating, waiting to die, can be confronting. We never talk about death, that's a topic of conversation we don't like to bring up. We go to a funeral, it's horrible, and we grieve, which is right. And we often want the, the, the funeral to be a celebration of their life, rather than being confronted with the reality of death. Funerals bring, I don't know for you, but for me, funerals bring death really close. Really close. It's confronting. Death is confronting. It's sad and it scares all of us hugely. And the worrying thing is that all of us one day will have to face this, whether we like it or not. I've had one author say death is like a stalker that pursues us with a vague presence. It's always there. The question is, what do we do? Well, I want to say the answer is Easter Sunday. And this is why I love Easter Sunday so much. I want to show you the answer to, this, to, to, the, uh, to our biggest fear, death. Jesus confronts our biggest fear and deals with it once and for all. I want to show you the way to freedom from the fear of death and the hold that it has on us and our society. I want to show you the hope that this freedom brings right now, not just when we die, but right now that it brings. And it's all about Easter Sunday and what happened 2,000 years ago. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. I want to show you three things about the resurrection. I want to show you the truth of the resurrection. I want to show you the life in the resurrection. And I want to show you the hope in the resurrection. Let me start with the truth of the resurrection. Well, the resurrection is all about uh, Easter Sunday. Jesus coming back to life from the dead. Physically, bodily raised from the dead. The question is, did it really happen? As Jess was saying before, did it really happen? Or is it just, you know, you've got to believe it in your heart and that makes it real? Or is it just this idea of, it's a, it's a nice fairy tale for gullible Christians to believe to give them hope to get through the day-to-day life? Is that what it is? Can any intelligent, educated, thought-through person really believe that a person could rise from the dead after three days? Well, I want to show you the, and argue the answer is yes. 
Do you know that in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul even writes, the Apostle Paul writes in the Bible, if there is no resurrection, the Christianity then, if there's no resurrection, then Christianity is actually uh, uh, is pointless, and those who follow it should be mocked and pitied and looked down upon by all people. The whole Christian faith rises and falls on the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's not peripheral, it is central to the whole Christian faith. So, did he do it? Well, Jesus first said that he would die and rise again. And anyone who predicts they could do this then do it, and then actually follow through, they, uh, they must be taken seriously. And for me, my, my whole faith, I've been a Christian now for uh, about 15 or 15 or 20 years, and my whole faith for me, uh, that can sometimes go up and down, is actually based upon this fact of the resurrection. It's all built on the resurrection. So I'm going to show you a bit of evidence. Let me start with what Jesus actually said. Uh, he first said that he was going to die and rise again. He predicted it. He, he, he said it a number of times. He said it in Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, Luke 9, and Matthew 17, 22. Let me show you Matthew 17, 22 on the screen. It says this. Jesus says, The Son of Man, that's, that's a name for himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after, that, uh, and after three days rise again. I'm not saying anything either. I'll read it again. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus said that he was going to die and be killed and then three days later that he would rise again to life. It's been argued, if you look at this idea of evidence of the resurrection, it's often argued then, well, uh, other theories of what happened to Jesus is that maybe he didn't die. Maybe he didn't die at all. Maybe he was on the cross, hanging on the cross, uh, he passed out, the Romans, he tricked the Romans, thought that he was dead, and they placed him in a tomb. While he was still alive, then he had sort of three days to rest and to recover. Then after that three days, he pushed a huge stone and went, ta-da, I'm alive again. A couple of problems, problems with that theory is that Jesus was severely beaten. If you read the accounts of Jesus on the cross, that uh, before he was uh, uh, hung on the cross, he was scourged and he was beaten within an inch of his life. And then on the cross, he had nails to his hands and his feet for over three hours, huge blood loss, uh, and uh, there was no way that after three days he could have uh, uh, recovered to push the stone aside and walk out. Secondly, the Romans, they, they, they were professionals at uh, being killers, so they would have uh, killed many people by this way of crucifixion, and so they knew when someone was dead. Thirdly, the Gospel records that Jesus was speared through his side, which was a way of them proving whether he was dead or not, and they did that, and the Roman guards both attested the fact that Jesus was actually dead. So the evidence seems to point to that Jesus was actually dead. It's been argued then, and maybe then what happened was that someone stole the body and ran away with it to pretend like he'd risen from the dead. Uh, the question is, who did that? Uh, the, the prime suspects would have been his followers or his apostles. Um, well, if you actually look at church history, most of the Jesus' followers and the apostles actually died a horrendous death for saying uh, that Jesus had risen. It's recorded in history that this great persecution and killing of Christians broke out after Jesus' death and resurrection. The question would be, why would they go through all of this? Why would they be tortured and killed for a lie they made up? And surely one of the 12 or 11 would have cracked and said, sorry, no, no, it's all a joke, I made it up, so they wouldn't be tortured. Along those lines, after Jesus' resurrection, these men who, uh, when they first saw Jesus hung on the cross, they ran away thinking, I don't want to be like him and being crucified. After the resurrection, they turned around and then basically went to the world and shared Jesus and his resurrection 
with the world. For them, seeing Jesus' resurrection uh, made them brave and seeing that he was raised from the life, they can go and do the same and speak the good news of him to all people. Uh, maybe the Romans stole the body, people who crucified him. Uh, they put a guard on, and a seal on the tomb to make sure no one could steal it. Uh, and if they, they wanted to squash Christianity, so if the Romans had no, no point in, in stealing the body, uh, they wanted Jesus to stay dead. And if the Christians said, hey, he's alive, they've got the body, and said, look, no, he's not, we've got the body. Same with the Jewish people, they wanted to squash Christianity, they wanted to squash the followers of Jesus, and so they wouldn't need us to steal the body either. And when Christians started to say he's alive, they had the body, they produced it and say, hey, no, here's the body as well. The most logical thing, again, seems to be that Jesus maybe and actually did rise from the dead just as he said he was going to do. What's interesting that after Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to 500 different people. And the number of that many people and, and that many different sightings, you can't say it was some sort of uh, mass hallucination. The Bible writers even list the name of, names of people and saying, hey, if you want to check out if Jesus rose from the dead, here are 500 or, or a bunch of eyewitnesses. Go and talk to them. They're still alive. So the original readers of the Bible would have read these names and go, I know that person, I know that person, and could have gone and chatted with them to see if, the, if it really was uh, Jesus who rose from the dead. Also, in, uh, in Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, the first witnesses were, were women. In Jesus' day, uh, women had a low social status, meaning their testimony in court wasn't taken seriously. So there's no possible uh, advantage in making up a story having women as witnesses. Maybe the, the only possible explanation was that they actually were the first eyewitnesses and it wasn't a made-up story that Jesus did rise from the dead. What I just did for you there is just gave you a fire hose of evidence, which I was trying to do, to try to show you there is a bunch of logical thought through evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There is plenty of, 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 of thought through men and women uh, who follow and believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Can I encourage you, whether you follow Jesus or not, take, take 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever, to look and see if this is real or not. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, then surely someone who says they will die and rise again needs to be taken seriously and needs to be listened to. If you want books or articles or resources, let me know. I'd love to share them with you. When I was studying at Macquarie University uh, many years ago, uh, the, the ancient history department of Macquarie Uni was filled with Christians, people who actually believed in the bodily, physical uh, resurrection of Jesus, historians who did. This is the truth of the resurrection. I want to encourage you, whether you know Jesus or not, to look at the evidence and see if this is real. There is truth to the resurrection. Assess the evidence for yourself. I want to show you, uh, show you secondly, the life in the resurrection. And it's the story that Jesus... Uh, that, sorry, Jesus. I just called Jez Jesus. Uh, it's the story that Jez just read for us. It's the raising of Lazarus to life. As a church, we've been walking through John's Gospel and uh, we've seen that John writes his gospel with one sort of purpose in mind, one purpose. And he writes what this purpose is in, in John chapter 20, 31. It says this, John says, These things are written, the gospel is written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. John is recording all that Jesus did, so that the readers, so that the original readers and us may see who Jesus is and believe and have life in his name. This story we read of Lazarus, the purpose of this story is that you may see who Jesus is and believe and have life in his name. I wonder if you've um, ever seen something 
and you've, you've seen it and you've thought, that didn't just happen. That, that can't have just happened. And you were just in shock of what you just saw. I've mentioned this story once before, but I think it's worth telling again. Uh, when I was younger, I, uh, I drove a, uh, an old beat-up BMW 318i, which I loved. And I think I was in my, my early 20s, and I was uh, driving home to my family home in Gladesville. And I think I'd been out somewhere, I'd been out running, playing sport or doing something or whatever it was. And I was hot and sweaty, and I had to come home quickly, have a shower, get changed, and go out again. And so I rushed up home, and I, I drove up my driveway, closed my, jaw, my uh, door, jumped out of the car, jumped in the shower, get changed, and then go again. And I was in the shower, and then my mum knocked on the door and said, hey, uh, sorry, the doorbell rang. And I thought, it's weird, middle of the day, who's that? Anyway, I hear two people speaking. My mum was talking to our neighbour. And uh, they were chatting for a while, and then mum sort of calls out to me uh, behind the door of the bathroom and says, um, that was our neighbour, Gav, across the road. I'm like, yeah, cool. And uh, she said, um, uh, she just wanted to come and tell you that your car is across the road smashed into their neighbour's fence. I'm like, no, what are you talking No way, that is not possible. And I peeked out the window with just like this sense of fear and, and, and a sick feeling in my stomach. I looked out and my car was across the road and it had mounted up into the brick fence of my neighbor's house and was sitting just in the fence. And uh, I was, that was lucky because behind the fence was their house, behind the house was the water, the river. And so it could have gone straight through and kept on going. What happened was I jumped out of the car, forgot to, the hand, forgot to put the handbrake on in my rush, and it had rolled down my driveway, gathered some good speed, then gone across the road and jumped the gutter, hit the gutter, and then poof, smashed this brick fence of my neighbor's house to bits. And my car was just sitting on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the fence. Now imagine you were on the footpath at that moment, just standing, just going walking your dog maybe around Gladesville, and then all of a sudden you saw this car with no one in it, go down this driveway, get some good speed, mount the gutter, and then fly and land into a fence. You'd almost think, what did I just see? Is there some sort of um, self-made driving car going on at the moment, or a flying car? It would blow your mind. It would think, what, what just happened? I, I, can't even, I can't even comprehend what I just saw. In this story, uh, we read of Jesus raising a dead man to life, Lazarus. And, and, you, and you, we think that and go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But if you stop and think and ponder this for a minute, this is incredible. Dead people don't come back to life after four, after four days. They don't come back to life after four days. Up until this point, Jesus had been performing signs and miracles and wonders and point to who he is. He'd turned water into wine. He'd walked on water. He'd uh, healed a lame man. He had given sight to a blind person. But now he goes up to a whole new level to heal a man and make a man alive who was dead. This is the final miracle Jesus performs in the Gospel of John, and he wants to go out with a bang. And I want to show you this miracle. The first, uh, the first four sentences of chapter 11, Jesus meets uh, his friends, uh, Mary and Martha, and a reporter sent to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, come and visit your friend Lazarus because he's really sick and he needs your help. But Jesus takes his time. And he says, this sickness will not lead to death. Let me get this really weird line in sentence 5 and 6. Have a look. It says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So when they heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus hears that his friends Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves them and says, I'm going to stay here 
two more days, thanks very much. They think that, that's, that's not love. That's, that's crazy. Jesus healed a blind man, lame walk. Uh, he, he has this power to heal people. But when his good friend Lazarus is sick, he chooses to do nothing. He stays where he is two more days. And you think, that's not love. How is that love? Seems, seems odd. Let's keep reading. Sentences 11 to 15. Jesus says to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But, if I go to, uh, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, uh, he will recover. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Here's the answer. Jesus, out of his love for his disciples, for Lazarus, for Lazarus' sisters, he waits... And he allows Lazarus to die. He allows him to die. So that he can come and wake Lazarus up. That is, he can come and raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus says, so that you may may believe. So that you may believe who I am. Jesus is saying the most loving thing I can do for anyone is show you who I am. The most loving thing for his disciples, for Lazarus, is not to heal him from his sickness, but to show him who he is. The most loving thing for Lazarus' sisters is for, is, for, if, is for them to see Jesus for who he really is. And this miracle of raising Lazarus to life from the dead will reveal who he is. Let me show you. Sentence 20 to 26. Lazarus hears, uh, sorry, Lazarus' sisters hear that Jesus is finally coming. He waits two days. Jesus finally comes along and they hear that he's coming. And they're grieving the loss of their brother. Obviously, they're upset. And Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, comes to meet Jesus. Mary stays inside. Maybe she's still angry or upset with Jesus or she's grieving. But Martha comes to Jesus and she says this. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can understand what she's saying there. Of course. She's upset. But she still trusts. And it's 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha gets it. She gets the bigger picture at play. But she doesn't fully get who Jesus is just yet. She's still trying to work that out. And here is where Jesus, out of his love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he shows who he really is. Listen to what Jesus says in sentence 25 and 26. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who brings life to people, true life, eternal life. And Jesus says, those who believe in me shall never die. Jesus is claiming that he's the one who gives life to people. And then if you believe in him, this life means you'll never ever die. What does he mean here? How can he say that? Because we all know that followers of Jesus die. Followers of Jesus physically die. So what does he mean? When the Bible we learn uh, that the Bible teaches that all of humanity, all of, of, of people have rebelled against God, our creator. None of us have loved or listened or followed him as we ought to do. We don't thank him nor acknowledge him. We all say to God, look God, I will run life my own way. 
the world I want without any reference to you as creator. In fact, I want nothing to do with you. More than that, I will live as if you don't exist. The Bible calls this sin. God being just says, well, if you want it that way, that's how it will be. And therefore, because we don't want anything to do with him, we are cut off from him. Our relationship we're made for is severed. God is the life source of all, the giver of life, and we are cut off from him as the source of life. We're made for a relationship, living forever with him, because if we said no to him, he says, well, fine, that's done now. We are separated. Because of our sin, we are cut off. And God says the punishment for sin is, is death, really. Death in this world, but also eternal death. That is cut off from God forever for eternity. Really, that's what the idea of hell is about, being cut off from God forever. The source of all things, the life source of all things. And so as sinful human beings, we are dead, we are spiritually dead. We are cut off from God with no way back because dead people can't do anything. We are hopeless. And that's our state. But the good news of Good Friday and Easter Sunday is that God, out of his love for us, doesn't wash his hands and say, well, fine, so be it. In fact, no, what he does is he says, well, I'll go and pursue them. And out of his great love for us, God sends his one and only son on a rescue mission. Jesus. Jesus comes to us with the one goal, is to seek and save the lost. That's his purpose. And Jesus lives this perfect life, always being God the Father. And then he dies, which is Good Friday. On the cross, he dies. And this death is like no other. This death is not just him dying. This death is a death that achieves so much. On the cross, Jesus dies, and he takes on the sin and the rebellion and the punishment of the world. In our place for us, whilst we were still enemies. And in our, in, 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 on the cross, this great swap takes place. On the cross, Jesus gets my sin, my punishment, my rebellion, God's wrath, all poured out on him. And what do I get? I get Jesus' perfect record, his perfect life, his perfect righteousness. That I may stand before God holy and blameless. And I've done nothing to deserve this, to earn this. I haven't fixed myself up. I've done nothing like that. It's a free gift of God in Jesus for those who want it. Jesus dies, but doesn't stay dead. And as we celebrate today, the story, and this story of Lazarus' resurrection points to, Jesus rises to new life. And he beats death. He conquers it once and for all. The punishment for sin is death. And on the cross, Jesus defeats sin and he rises again and defeats death as well. And through his death and resurrection, he restores this relationship with our Creator, the one we're made for, the one where there is purpose and meaning and life and hope. Jesus restores it all. And yes, we die here on earth, but those who trust and follow Jesus... He gives and, and grants eternal life. We're given a place called home. We're all heading. Jesus is the one who is the resurrection, has defeated sin and death, who is the one who gives life, eternal life, and who has beaten uh, death on the cross. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, this is what he means. He can grant life to those who follow and trust him. I don't know if you noticed in the story with uh, Jesus and speaking to Martha, in sentence 25 and 26, I just want to show you one more thing from this, this part. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yes, he sh yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then they get this part. Jesus says, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? 
four small words. We're here on Easter Sunday in 2018 in Balmain, very far from Jerusalem where this happened. And I believe, though, God is asking us a question this morning. He's asking you a question. Do you believe? Do you believe this of Jesus? I want to say there is no bigger question with no bigger consequences than this question. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Do you believe this? Jesus takes away our sin, deals with our guilt, our punishment, and he offers us life. He's dealt with our greatest enemy, our greatest fear, once and for all. 1 Corinthians 13, the writer Paul exclaims this beautiful phrase in light of the resurrection. He says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Saying, it has been defeated and it is gone. Jesus is one. And Jesus is offering you freedom, freedom from death and its hold over your life. And the question is, do you believe? And I say, what a day, like Easter Sunday, what a day to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want life. Jesus, I believe. I want to know you, I want to trust you, and I want life, the full eternal life that's found in you. Jesus, I believe. I'd say, if this is where you're at, I would say, don't leave it any longer. You may have floated in and out of church for I don't know where anyone's at in this room. But Jesus is asking you personally this morning, do you believe? The question is, do you? We've seen the truth of the, of the resurrection. We've seen the life of the resurrection. And I want to show you now the hope of the resurrection. This is powerful for me. Um, I, I don't know. What, I wonder what keeps you going in life. What do you look to day to day to keep going day after day? I turned, I turned, 37, I turned 38 this year, 37 at the moment. And I, I said this before. I just find that as I get older... Life gets more complicated. It's harder. I, I'm, I'm quite a, I, think I, I feel things a lot. I'm quite a sensitive person and a bit empathetic and I feel a lot. And I, and I look around at the world and people I see, people I know and I love and there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of pain. A lot of hardship and, and, and a heck of a lot of suffering. People searching for answers in the face of trials and pain or trying to make sense of this world that we live in see and I, and, I, and I experience mental illness around me. We're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. I see death, I see illness, I see disease, I see sickness everywhere. I experience my mum having dementia who will not get better. I look at my brother who's in his mid-40s who has Parkinson's disease, he will not get better. We have relationships with people all around us who have the ability to love us but the ability to hurt us deeply. And we often feel very alone and lost in this world and life is hard. But the question is, what keeps you going day after day? What do you turn to for help, for hope? I want to share, you, share with you to finish up my hope. This hope is this anchor for my soul day by day. And here's why I love Easter Sunday and it's about the resurrection for me. Let me just take you back to this story with Jesus and Lazarus. There's something really small I want to show you. Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he says, roll the stone back. And he says, Lazarus, come out with his voice. And then pff, Lazarus, back to life again. 
and walk, showing Jesus' power, that he has life, his power over life and death. And just with a word, Jesus can raise the dead. Amazing. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But before that happens, something amazing happened before that, in the lead up. Jesus uh, goes and he finally arrives and he sees Mary. Mary's there, the one who's been staying away from Jesus. And he sees Mary. And she's grieving the loss of her brother. She says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Where have you been? And Jesus looks around and he sees Mary grieving and Martha grieving. And he sees the Jewish people grieving everywhere. And they're wailing over the loss of this man. And, and, and it says, Jesus, John writes, Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Then in sentence 34, Jesus says, says this. He says, uh, where have you laid him? And they say, come, and we'll, sh- and we'll show you. And in sentence 35, it is the shortest verse in the whole Bible, but so powerful. 35, two words. It says, Jesus wept. That's what it says. Jesus wept. Jesus is moved by what he sees. He's moved by his friends grieving, by people grieving at the loss of Lazarus, and he feels it. He's not removed from this world. He's involved with this world. And he's moved. But you have to ask the question, right? Why is he weeping? If he knows he's going to raise Lazarus, why get sad? He's like, hey, don't cry. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it all happy again. But he doesn't. He grieves, and he's, and he's weeping. Why does he weep? Well, firstly, this word weep here is not this idea of Jesus crying like a school kid in the corner. This, this word weep here in, in sort of the Greek language is more of a, a manly determination. More, think of more like Mel Gibson in Braveheart sort of weep, right? That's what Jesus is doing, a determination. And I think what's going on here is Jesus looks and he sees what people are going through. And he first, he, he cares and he hates that they're feeling the loss of their brother. But tied to that, Jesus looks and he sees that this isn't how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. Death is an unnatural intruder in the earth and on the earth that he created. Humanity was not supposed to die, but because of sin, which Jesus hates, it entered the world. And Jesus looks and he sees and he feels the effects of what's going on and it moves him. And so Jesus does something about it. He defeats it. Jesus takes on death head on and he conquers it. And Easter Sunday is all about Jesus defeating death. And that death and his death, defeating death, means hope for us. Sin, death, and all its effects that you and I experience day by day, I want to say, will not have the last word. They will not have the last word. No, Jesus defeated them all. God has not left us alone in this world. He came near and Jesus has walked in our shoes. He knows what it is to live and to love and to suffer and to struggle. And he came near to bring us life, eternal life, and that means hope now and beyond the grave. Eternal life is secured by Jesus and what he has done. And the great thing about this is there is more to come. This life is not where it ends for us, if you're a follower of Jesus. There is way more to come. I want to say the best is yet to come. If you go ahead and read the book of Revelation at the very end, you read Revelation 21 and 22, and God describes what it's going to be like in those last days. And it speaks of eternity, of heaven being a real place that's physical, like this. And it speaks of a place where, where death is gone. That means no more grieving over lost people you love. Sickness is gone. No more dementia. No more Parkinson's disease. No more crying of disappointments. No more hurt 
or loss or loneliness. No more pain because why? We are with the King of Kings. We are His people in His presence. There is no more darkness, no more disappointment, no more disease or or no more death. And my resurrection to life into eternity because of Jesus' resurrection is this sure hope, is this anchor for my soul that helps me to keep going day by day. See, as a follower of Jesus, I know where I'm going. I see there's a bigger picture at play. I know where I will dwell forever, and it is not here on earth where there is good things and hard things and suffering and pain. I know my home is with my King, the one who loves me, who gave his Son for me. And the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that this whole world is heading towards a day where all the sad things will come untrue, where justice will be finally served, where God will fix all the broken things and heal the pain and bring his people home. And this truth is my hope now. And this truth keeps me going in the good days and the hard days. It gives me perspective that this world is not it. The hope of the resurrection frees me to enjoy and engage in this life. This is not all there is. I don't have to to stuff into this life all my hopes and dreams and get them fulfilled because I know that that will be fulfilled in the time to come. And so I can engage in each moment of life and enjoy them as a gift. The resurrection frees me from the control of my fears because I know that I have eternity to come. The resurrection is my hope. There is truth in the resurrection, there is life in the resurrection, and there is hope in the resurrection. And the biggest question that God has asked you today is, do you believe? I'm going to pray for us. God, we want to to thank you so much for... This day, today is a celebration of death being defeated. The thing that holds us and controls us and gives us fear has been, has been destroyed. And we long for the day where you will bring us home. We long for the day where you'll make all the sad things come untrue, bring justice to this earth. I'm going to pray for each of us here. I, we, I don't know where anyone is at here, Lord, in this room and what is going through people's hearts and minds right now, but you do. And I pray, Father, that you would just be keep showing yourself more and more to them, to us. Help us to see the, this, this, I, this truth of the resurrection is a hope for our souls. It is life. It is what we are looking for. It is, it is all that we are made for. So, Lord, on this Easter Sunday, we want to pray as we celebrate, as we have chocolate and hot cross buns and go to the park, that we would not forget what this day is truly about. It is all about you, Jesus, and you raising from the dead. Thank you so much for who you are. We pray in your name. Amen. As we do here each week, we just spend time, just to, I'm just going to give you time before we sing or do anything, to spend time with God, maybe pray, to think, reflect. We'll give you two or three minutes to do that, and then we'll sing together.